This is an EWTN Newslink. I'm Teresa Tamio from Catholic Connection. The bishops are criticizing two House committees which recently advanced a Build Back Better Act, which does not include the pro-life Hyde Amendment. They urge lawmakers to advance important and life-saving health care provisions without forcing Americans to pay for the deliberate destruction of unborn human life. A Texas doctor says he was deliberately challenging the Texas heartbeat law when he performed an abortion recently. Dr. Alan Braid writing about it in an op-ed in the Washington Post, adding the new law has shut down 80% of his practice. And the Delta variant is causing a downturn in travel, so says United CEO Scott Kirby on CBS's Face the Nation. He says a recovery for travel demand has been pushed to January of next year due to the ongoing pandemic. For more news with a Catholic perspective, visit EWTNnews.com. I'm Teresa Tamio, and the doctor is in with Dr. Ray Garendi. Starts now. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. How are you, sir? This is Peter. Oh. I can't believe I'm talking to you, Dr. Ray the Great. Oh, I don't know about that. I love listening to you. You have a personality just like my father. I don't think you should feel helpless. You are helpless. Doctor, I really appreciate that. That makes me feel a lot better. You be at peace, or else I'm going to yell at you. I'm trying to find a reason to speak to you. I think you're the best thing since plays bread. That Ray, he's something. Thank you so much for what you're doing for all the parents out there. They don't know what I can possibly do. I don't either. I'm getting my money worth, I think, at this phone call. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Well, this is the first year that my wife and I are not going to the beach because of COVID-19. Well, all the other years we didn't go to the beach because we couldn't afford it. But it sounds better saying it that way. Good to have you with me. I'm Dr. Ray Garendi. The doctor is in is the name of the program. This particular version is E-Person Monday. My talk-to-text just doesn't get that right. Typically, when I uh, do somebody's email, E-Person, I I send them a little note. I say, uh, I addressed your question on an upcoming E-Person Monday, and it, it doesn't, doesn't recognize E-Person. It says each person, or it ignores E. It, it just doesn't do it. So I yell at Siri, and she yells back. So, we will get to your e-persons momentarily. My most recent book is a book titled, Jesus, the Master Psychologist. Listen to him. One of the points I make at the very beginning of the book is that Jesus is either God, he's either who he said he was, or he's wrong. He was a misguided guru. You know, kind of like, uh, oh, I don't know, just a nice guy. Or he was deceptive. I mean, he's just deliberately being deceptive. I mean, he knew people were going to die because of their belief in him, and he, he just he hung to it. That's, that's mean. Or he was delusional. He had the great delusion that he was sent from God and he was here to redeem the whole world. Now, you have to decide... The one thing you can't say is that he was a good person. 
the evidence doesn't indicate that. I mean, if you, you're going to claim you're God, and there's there's plenty of evidence that he did say that. Now, if you say, well, he didn't say that. The, uh, the people around him who wrote about him said he said that. All right. Then you got another problem. Which is, well, he said a whole bunch of things about the way to live. You can't, you can't believe those either. Because if, in fact, the people who wrote about him lied about the part that said he was God, then you have to say, well, they didn't lie about the part he said, here's how you're supposed to live. It just doesn't make any sense. So, most people who are Christians believe he was who he said he was. Now, there is a logical conclusion from this. If you say, I believe he was God, you must say, I mean, you don't have to, you can deny it, everybody's illogical all the time, but if you're going to try to be reasonably honest with yourself, you must say, I have to believe what he said. Because he said a whole bunch of things about the way you're supposed to live. Now, modern psychology may not agree with some of them. They may decide that your personal self-esteem is far more important than when Jesus said, if you do what you're supposed to do, just call yourself an unworthy servant. Don't take accolades for it. Don't seek applause. Don't, th- don't seek thumbs up. Don't get 194 followers. It's not going to satisfy you. That's what he said. Is that the way it is? Or in fact... The more status you have, the more achievement you have, the more money you have, the more recognition you have, the more happy you're going to be. Does that seem to be borne out? Taking a look at uh, the lifestyles of the rich and famous, are they pretty content there? Or Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Well, now, wait a minute. If somebody hits me, I'm going to hit them back. I'm not going to turn the other cheek, am I? That's what, I mean, that's what... Ruling mindset says, what's this turning the other cheek stuff? What's he saying? You got to be a pacifist? No, he's he's essentially saying, don't let people offend you. I mean, in Jesus' day, a slap on the cheek was a maximum insult. You're worthless is what it said. So he said, if somebody tries to tell you you're worthless, just give me the other cheek. In other words, don't let them get to you. Well, that's sound psychological advice. He says, Get the log out of your own eye. Now, many people interpret that to mean, well, if you're going to correct somebody, make sure you can see clearly. I think it goes way beyond that. You got a log in your eye, you can't see yourself. You're blind. And if you're going to improve as a person, as a disciple, you've got to be able to see yourself with all your warts, frailty, foibles, Imperfection. You've got to be able to. If you don't have some level of insight into yourself, the journey to any kind of holiness, any kind of maturity, stunted. Not going to happen. You go into therapy. Therapist gives you their conclusions, their opinions, their guidance. If you don't buy it, if you say to yourself, that's nonsense, I'm not that way, That's not who I am. Now, you may be right. The therapist may be wrong. But either way, if you say, I don't see it, so therefore I'm not going to do it, you're not going to improve. 
if the therapist is right. When you get angry at somebody, you're living with them maybe, your spouse, an adult child, and you find that one of the things that makes them most difficult is they don't see how they come across. They don't see how they treat people. They don't see their double standard. They don't see their blindness to their own faults. Boy, they're so aware of yours, but they don't see a fraction of theirs. Doesn't that make them incredibly difficult to deal with? Especially on an ongoing basis? I I dare say that's one of the major frictions in a marriage. My spouse doesn't see what he's like, she's like. They don't see it. Jesus says, get the log out of your eye. Then he says, then you can correct your brother. Well, I say, he means something much bigger. Get the log out of your eye so you can see yourself. You got a log in your eye, you're blinded. As long as you're blinded, you're not going to improve. You're not going to get any better. You're not going to get any closer to him. And you certainly are going to have all kinds of problems in your social relationships. No question about that. He who humbles himself will be exalted. He who exalts himself will be humbled. You know why I won the Humility Award nine years in a row? Because when we were the top three finalists, and they announced the top three finalists, the other two showed up to collect their trophy. I didn't. I said, I, <clears throat> I, can't, I can't accept this. I don't deserve this. Therefore, I won. Right. See, this humility is really tricky stuff. Humility is the one virtue that if you think you have it, you don't. Isn't that interesting? I'm humble. One of the phrases that has, has always made me laugh is when people say, I'm, I'm so very humbled by this award. I'm, I'm, I'm very humbled by your, by your opinion of me. What? How, that makes no sense. I'm humbled? In other words, you see it? You see it? I'm, I'm dripping with humility because of what you did. I have to tell you about it. Instead of saying thank you for this. Or when somebody says, I don't deserve this. Well, maybe they know something about themselves that we don't. But to say I don't deserve this kind of is a, a, a false humble. Well, maybe you do deserve it. Maybe you did a lot of good stuff. You deserve it. But that doesn't mean... You can fluff yourself up for it. As Jesus says, you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. It's going to happen. How many parents have bragged about their children? And then their children turned around and made them look bad. The children did things or ended up believing things that all along their parents bragged about these kids. How good they were, how holy they were, how wonderful they were. It's nice to have a very high opinion of your children to let them know how much you love them. But if you exalt them and they turn around and ultimately don't become what you were bragging about, it humbles them and it humbles you, doesn't it? So I guess the point is this. Jesus said a lot of things. And some of them people don't like. Some of them Christians don't like. They put more faith in modern psychology. But if Jesus is God, 
then you gotta do what he says for your own self-interest because it works it is the best way to live either that or you gotta say he didn't know what he's talking about oh he hit it on a few things but the other things he was yeah it's two thousand years ago he really didn't understand the psyche how can you say that if he was god now if you don't think he was god well you don't have to listen to him then but I think most of the people listening to this program think he was God. Okay, what are you going to do about it? Dr. A, soon the E-persons. Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria mutual funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria mutual funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Mississippi presented a brief to the Supreme Court, and in that brief, the state of Mississippi argued that the Constitution of the United States does not confer a right to abortion. Asking the court to finally admit the cases claiming there is such a right, Roe v. Wade, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, have been wrongly decided and need to be overruled. Now make no mistake, this is coming to a very different Supreme Court than we've had in the past because former President Trump kept his promise to appoint originalist judges. And even if we assume they regard Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey as bad decisions, we really don't know how they might go about revising, dismantling, you know, reforming Roe. This is going to be a very consequential Supreme Court case. Cresta in the Afternoon with Al Cresta. For Eastern on EWTN Radio. We need EWTN Radio for the reason that Mother Angelica founded this entire enterprise. She always saw this as a spiritual growth network. It was to be an enterprise in media that reached people in all aspects of their life. She saw this as a, a holistic approach to reaching the whole person in the middle of the world and bringing them truth and life. Raymond Arroyo thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Uh, I was getting into it with a friend last night. We were talking about a lot of different things. He he was trying to sound all intellectual, okay? And, and I hate it when people try to sound intellectual and they talk about Mozart, Mozart, and they've never even seen one of his paintings. You know, that's interesting. I mean, come on. Okay. E-person, let's go to it. My son is coping with depression and anxiety with self-medicating and drinking. He blames my experience because my husband was not happy that I was not giving him daily affirmation and attention when I was working full-time and raising children. My son learned to look at it this way 
in college. <laughs> Taking psychology. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. And assumes he learned the wrong example. Because of the current culture and girlfriends expecting constant attention. All right, let me, let me jump in here for a second. Uh, Ryder, you are not the first parent whose kid has taken some psychology classes and come back and said, I learned how you messed me up. I learned how you did it all wrong. Or the kid who comes back, who is the oldest in the family and is watching the parents raise the younger kids and starts critiquing how they're raising the younger kids. You've heard the phrase, little knowledge is a dangerous thing. That's right. Because I read a great phrase that said, and I think this applies to many aspects of life, someone who does not know the limits of his knowledge is bound to be misled by the knowledge he has. In other words, you know a little bit, and that little bit's going to mislead you because you don't realize how much you don't know. So you take a couple of psychology courses, and you go back and all of a sudden start critiquing your parents, uh, you've got a good chance of being way off. Okay, she says, now this sounds like she's trying to explain this to him. I talked with him, and I told him this, this does not mean that it's healthy and explained that a relationship is complex and unique to each person. Now, I think she's talking about his relationship with his girlfriend because he said his girlfriend expects constant attention. I also explained that it's not good for others to tell a son, now she's assuming again what he learned in college, what he learned from psychology profs, that his mother has unhealthy relationship habits either. That is judgmental and blaming. Well, there's an irony there, writer. And the irony is that the people who are telling him that his mother clearly had this toxic relationship with her husband or in raising her family she was inept, these are people who, I would suspect, consider themselves very tolerant, very open-minded. So somehow, some way, they've influenced this young man to think, your mother really messed you up. And the reason she messed you up is because she had a bad marriage, and her husband was unhappy too, and the fact that you are depressed uh, is just a reflection of what you saw growing up, because that was your model, and understandably, that model was a bad one, and therefore, who would expect you to be okay? Any resources or suggestions, Dr. Ray, for me to handle the culture, which is very harsh on us traditional women and mothers? Well, I agree with you there. This is a culture that says we must allow women to be whatever they want, except a mother who wants to stay at home and raise her children, except a mother who has more than 1.86 children except a mother who values motherhood and wants to homeschool. Yeah, we're a very tolerant culture for what we define as deserving tolerance. So I, I'm, agree, I'm agreeing with you totally on this one. Now, what do you do about it? Well, I would only hope, and I don't know how old your son is, I would only hope that he's not going to get any better by blaming his mother. 
I found this theme very common among people whose lives are messed up as young adults. Make a good it make a good dissertation. Somebody in counseling might want to chase this. You're seeking your PhD. How often, and you, you have to measure all this, of course, and that's where the hard part's going to come in, but how often does someone who's making a shambles of their lives blame their parents? I think it's very high. My experience as a clinician is that the more, and this, and this goes back to taking the log out of your own eye, the more blind you are to your own role in creating your distress, the more likely you are to see somebody else as having created your distress, and most often that is your mother or your father, or both. Very, very common. I see relatively few young adults who say, despite my parents' best efforts to raise me well, to raise me in the faith, I've turned from it, and I've turned in a really bad direction. And I take full blame for this. For my choices, for my perspective, for my foolish moves, I'm the one responsible. No, 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 no. I think there's a linear relationship. The more I make a mess of my life, the more I am likely to hold my parents or parent accountable for the mess in my life. They did it. Now, according to this mom here, he got a push. He got a good push at college. And she says he got a good push from his profs. We're going to we're going to analyze what you tell us about your relationship. Now anybody who's been in this business any length of time, as a therapist, as someone who deals with people, becomes very cautious in swallowing whole what somebody tells them. Not because the person necessarily may be lying deliberately, but because we are all self-interested enough to give my perception of the way things are. When somebody first comes into me for, say, their initial session, an intake interview, and they describe to me the circumstances in their lives that are distressing them or that brought them in, I listen, of course. And, obviously, I have to assume that what they're telling me is, in some level, the way it really is. But I fully recognize that we all see things through our own lens. And as I describe my spouse and how awful and terrible and horrible and evil he is, I have to recognize that this is, this is my look at it. Now, I have clients say that. They've said that. They will say, now, they're few and far between, but they will say, I realize this is my perspective. I realize this is this is how I see it and how I've seen it, and I got to think my spouse is not going to totally agree with me on any of this, or maybe disagree with me totally. But they they have enough insight to say what I'm telling you is how I see it, rather than what I'm telling you is how it is. 
So whatever this young man told his profs or the people, or maybe he didn't say anything. Maybe he just took what they were saying and teaching and applied it to himself and his own upbringing and concluded that my mom, because she had a bad relationship with my dad, really messed me up. And this is why I have depression and anxiety ruling my life and why I'm drinking to try to medicate. That may be the conclusion he came to. One hopes that, in fact, he outgrows it and he shifts responsibility from mom onto himself. But my advice to mom is quit trying to explain it to him. Quit trying to defend yourself. Quit trying to to counter it. Because I'm sure you've discovered when you do this, mom, he just argues back. He doesn't buy it. He takes it as a sign that you still don't see what you did to him. So my suggestion to you is I'm not going to give you keys on how to get through to him, certain types of reasoning that will click. I'm going to tell you, quit distressing yourself over this. Attempt to get along with him as best you can without defending everything that happened as you were a stay-at-home mom or full-time worker and raising children. That's what I would suggest. What are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? The Catholic Catechism tells us the gifts of the Holy Spirit sustain us in a moral life. They are a permanent disposition, making man docile to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are seven in number. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. They are seen in their fullness in the person of Jesus Christ. The fruits of the Holy Spirit are perfections the Holy Spirit forms in us as first fruits of eternal glory. They are charity, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, modesty, self-control, and chastity. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Father Benedict Groeschel I want to welcome you, if you're not familiar, with the wonderful world of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What will America become if it makes it impossible for the Holy Spirit to work here because of untruth and self-indulgence and paganism? This is not just a nice discussion of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because I'm going to discuss what happens when people make it impossible to be prudent, just, or honest, or brave, or courageous, or reverent. When people make that impossible, what a terrible thing they do not only to themselves, but to our society. EWTN.
Live truth. Live Catholic. Thanks for joining me. Dr. Ray Grandy, the program Doctor is in. Version of the program, E-Person Monday. Got to do something with the emails. Get as many emails as we get calls. A lot of the emails come from the TV show, uh, Living Right with Dr. Ray, in its 10th season. We're uh, hopefully uh, be starting up shortly in the fall with some very, very new stuff. Uh, we had to We had to get a little creative during the COVID time when we couldn't have an audience with masks on. That just doesn't look good on TV. All right, see what we got here. <clears throat> Dr. Ray, I often miss the beginnings of your calls. Like the lady who called in, and then she gives the, time, the date. She felt that God did not love her because of all the abuse that she had gone through. I think this is it, Dr. Ray, because I didn't hear her entire story. But I can relate to her. You said that you can prove that God loves her, even though he had allowed what happened to her to happen because she is a woman of faith. And she says, I don't know. Because what about all the sexual abuse victims that turn into addicts, alcoholics, criminals, self-abusers, suicide, chronic, dangerous partners, and so forth? Does God not love them? They are not people of great faith. Some of them are barely hanging on. Some have lost their battle. Okay, I want to answer that. I want to answer that. Because my point was to this woman. It was not the rationale that God can pull that kind of good out of every bad circumstance. This woman said... I don't think God loves me because he allowed that to happen. And I said, well, is it possible that because you are a believer and of great faith that somehow you turn to God through all this? That, that was my explanation for her. It was not my explanation, obviously, for people who would turn from the faith. So one has to say, well, we're back to the old problem of suffering, which is the age-old problem. Why does God, why does God allow this? And the best answer, the best answer I've ever gotten, and I think I thought about it myself, but I'm sure other people have said it in some version, because I don't know everything. I don't know everything. You know, various answers have been given free will. God can bring good out of it. God will pick up the pieces. We don't know how God will, will make justice in the end. That's all, Those are all legit. But I think the umbrella to all of those is because we don't know what God knows. He says, yeah, in what you see, this, this looks like unexplainable. This looks like I can't be loving if this has happened. So she goes on. I've struggled with this question, Dr. Ray. I believe God loves these people, all of them, however bad their lives have turned out. Of course he does. That's everything we know about God. Everything. He's communicated with us. Jesus made it very clear. Jesus is God. If you believe Jesus is God, he's made it very clear. Okay, so the one thing we start out with is that God does love us. Now you got the problem of, okay, well, if he loves you, why does he allow this to happen? You know, no good parent would allow this to happen to his kids. Yeah, but here's the difference between me and God. 
I don't control my children's lives, and I can't make it right in this life necessarily. But God has so many other options I'm not even aware of. I don't know anything about it. So, she says, what I have to believe is that God cannot give both humans free will and prevent other people's free will from harming those he loves. Well, that that's, that's very true. I mean, that's just kind of like a theological speculation that has had an awful lot of confirmation. He walks along uh, alongside us even if our undeveloped brains... Now, see, she's touching upon some of the stuff that, that, that I've grabbed onto. Yeah, undeveloped brains, meaning we're finite. We do not see infinity. We do not see what God could and will and can do. All we see is this sliver that we call human existence. He walks alongside us, even if our underdeveloped brains are unable to get past the cognitive distortions that have helped us to survive, that remain long after they are no longer needed, and may become destructive. Some of our distortions may be that we blame ourselves for what happened, or may feel we're so unlovable that God can not possibly love us, or that we deserve what we suffer. Then she says, After ten years of chronic abuse from multiple perpetrators, both family members and unrelated, I can say that God loves me because he kept me safe become from becoming addicted to drugs or alcohol, criminal suicide, chronic abusive partners, and so forth. Or even that I continue to have faith in God, a good God, to believe that God loves me. But that says, now here's where I'm going to disagree with her, I can see it coming, but that says that I am better than those that fell into the more destructive common pitfalls of victims. No, no, it doesn't say that at all. Then she says, I think she's agreeing with me, no, God loves us because he created us. God loves those lost ones, and the celebrating in heaven when one of these finds his or her way home will be incredible. So this is, this is a pretty, pretty long email, but I think what she's concluding is that even as she herself survived her abuse and believes in a loving God and has faith, she says there are many, 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 perhaps the, the bulk, the majority of people who have had these wretched experiences are not necessarily faithful uh, or either angry at God. I, I had a foster parent from whom we adopted one of our children, very angry at God, very, because his son died at age 19. And he said to me, I don't want any part of a God that would let that happen. But again, we just don't know. What we do know is this world is a real imperfect place, and it's filled with people that can do anything they want to anybody they want. Now, you have to assume God's going to go, well, I can't do anything about it. Yep, yeah, they're just going to do what they want. Well, he tells us, and Jesus tells us, he's perfectly just. So somehow he's got to figure out a way to make it just. Now, do I know what God knows? I haven't. I, I can't understand one trillionth of the way the physical universe and the human body functions. So I'm going to sit and go, well, I know how God functions. Yes, sir. All righty. So yeah, the bell's going to ring here. 
She says, I think everyone who walks the earth has their own bag of rotting potatoes to carry around with them for a period, maybe forever. I think it is too easy to think that God has abandoned us or doesn't love us. Well, yeah. If you're going to conclude because they're suffering there's no loving God, then you've got to conclude that everything we know about God is false. And he isn't who he said he is. And whatever he's tried to communicate with us through the scripture and through Jesus is, at, at best, partial, at worst, inaccurate. I mean, that's what, you're, that's what you're left with. And there's too much evidence to indicate that he is good. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Ray. My latest book, Jesus, the Master Psychologist, Listen to Him, talks about how Jesus was 2,000 years ahead of modern enlightened psychology. If he's God, he knows the absolute best way to live, whether psychology agrees or whether it doesn't. Go to AveMariaRadio.net to get your copy. Jesus will tell you the best way to live. Christ is the answer with Father John Ricardo. We just did our parish mission a couple weeks ago now, and I suggested that in the course of the mission that we do something like a, a little mini spiritual assessment of our lives. I don't have to show this to anybody, but a great chance for us just to, with real honesty, just between us and Jesus, ask ourselves some questions. First question, given the fact that half of Catholics don't think God is even personal, would be to ask ourselves that. Do I think God is personal? And then to ask myself, do I think a relationship with Jesus is possible? Do I have a relationship with Jesus? And if so, what's it look like? And then perhaps a little bit more awkwardly or painfully to ask Jesus from his perspective, what's the friendship that we have with him look like? How would he describe our friendship with him? That might be a hard conversation to have. Maybe you've been hearing a lot about the need to make a spiritual communion while participating from home in a live-streamed or broadcast Mass. By asking for spiritual communion, we are acknowledging that the Holy Mass is the perfect, best way to worship God. The priest intercedes perfectly for us with God the Father because he acts in persona Christi. This is the time to see that through the priest's representation of Christ's sacrifice on Calvary, we are never separated from our Lord. Jesus, I embrace you and unite myself wholly to you. The callers, listeners, accidental in-car radio flippers, and their offspring are not intended to bear any resemblance to any actual person living or dead. And any parallels to persons, places, and situations in the life of the Dr. Isin's listeners, friends, relations, pets, goldfish, and tomato plants is purely coincidental and not to be taken literally. We are here on earth to do good unto others. What the others are here for, I, I don't know. I have no idea. 
Lance, I was looking at the the baby name book that I that I use when I when I write, and Lance is a very uncommon name nowadays. But in medieval times, people were called Lance a lot. <clears throat> hey, you didn't pay for this. You didn't pay for this. Okay, she says, <laughs> Doctor A, no way. Will the books that I purchased from you ever end up at a garage sale? <laughs> I talked about that. You see, you know you've arrived when you see your book at a garage sale. With a, with a, you know the price tag. I saw my one, my original book, Better Parent, sort of garage sale. Somebody said I got this at a garage sale, and they showed it to me. On the back, you know what the price was? <clears throat> Five cents. Yeah, must have been inflation because. The book was really my two cents worth, but they they raised it to five. Okay. She says, please note that I am not... She said some real nice things about me. And then she said, please note, I'm not saying all these nice things about you to get ahead in line. But if I do, great. My daughter is six years old. She suffers from an on and off bellyache. Now, most clinicians would say okay well let's just do what we can to make sure there's nothing underlying this physically i had her checked and physiologically nothing is wrong now oh boy one thing i want to say about this probably the more accurate thing to say is physiologically nothing was found wrong i've been at this business long enough to have clients now, oh boy, I got to be careful in this. The vast majority of the time, when they find nothing wrong, nothing is wrong. Okay, but I have seen rare occasions when there was something wrong, and it was ultimately discovered with much, much more extensive testing. However, uh, you have to kind of rely that the bulk of the time, on standard medical examination. If you don't uncover something, there's nothing to uncover. Okay, that said. She's a very active child. She stood at seven months. She walked at eight months. When she tells a story, you can see her mind racing. I blame this on the fact that uh, she's a second child and had to speak louder and faster to get her point across. <laughs> well, I guess, Mom, I would say it's probably more likely that's just who she is. All right? She's just a... Fast-moving, motorically and motorically mouthy kid. All right. I have studied bio and neurofeedback, but my training was for adults only. I decided to take the challenge of teaching her abdominal breathing. It's a certain kind of deep breathing that can, that can cause relaxation and really help with anxiety. And if you assume, and this is probably what the doctor told her, that the anxiety is at the base of her off and on belly distress. So you get rid of the anxiety, you tamper the distress. After Mass on Sunday, she told my mother-in-law that she has a bellyache after Mass because she forces herself to sit still. She's an altar server. She's on duty. She's very strong. And I also notice she wants to use the tools given to her to help her control her excitement towards certain situations. And she tells me she's aware of the benefits of a calmer state. Okay. Several points, Ma. Little kids 
are often not very insightful about the cause of what is happening to them. She said, the reason I have a bellyache is because I had to sit still a long time as an altar server. Up there, looking proper, sitting during the homily, not being able to move much, kneeling during the consecration, etc. And that's why I had a bellyache. Uh, perhaps. It's also possible that she's a little nervous when she goes up there. She doesn't want to foul it up. Or there are all kinds of people staring up that way. A little social anxiety there. And she's what we used to call in the business way, way back, belly acres. The most common symptom, now she's only six, but we used to see this a lot with pre-adolescent and adolescent girls. The most common psychosomatic symptom that manifests itself because of anxiety or distress or social nervousness or a feeling of I'm not competent enough or I get anxious uh, in certain contexts is a bellyache. And with with much of the kids we dealt with, there there was no identified underlying physical cause. So, my suggestion would be to explain to your little one, honey, do you know why you get those belly aches? Because sometimes you get nervous about certain things. Now, here's what I want to know. I want you to tell me anytime you feel yourself getting nervous so I can help you not be nervous. Now, she may say she gets nervous as an altar server. She may say she gets nervous when she has to go with a bunch of kids to an activity. She may say she gets nervous at the anticipation of a sleepover with her cousin. She may say she gets nervous uh, heading into first grade. Whatever it might be, what we got to do is we sort of got to connect the situations that are spurring this anxiety reaction, which is then being translated into this distress in her belly. Now, what we do know is that the body reacts to anxiety along its quote-unquote most susceptible link. And there are two places that are very susceptible for little girls. The belly... And the head, i.e. headaches. If we teach her that you really don't have anything to fear in these situations, then I would suspect that her belly aching is going to become fewer and farther between. Mom closes with us. I would like to say this is not an issue in the family. In other words, what she's saying is not, it's not causing great distress in our family. I simply want to give her the tools for the future. Well, I'm hoping those tools will help. And I'm hoping as she becomes a little more confident and sure of herself in some of these social situations, even if she looks confident and sure, you might want to probe around a little bit to see if there's anything that she's telling herself that's unsettling her and thus is unsettling her belly, that whole abdominal area 
or maybe even the stomach area. It's usually a vague kind of thing. It's down there. It's achy. It's not really pinpointed. It's not sharp. It's just sort of a, oh, it hurts. All right. There you go, Ma. I'm Dr. Ray. Solidarity HealthShare began out of the Christian tradition of neighbor helping neighbor. They're a nonprofit medical cost-sharing ministry in which their members share in each other's eligible medical expenses. Solidarity HealthShare is not insurance, but rather an alternative way to pay for medical costs that adheres to the teachings of the Catholic Church. They'll never share in a medical care that goes against their values and morals, such as abortion, contraception, and sterilization. More information available at SolidarityHealthShare.org or at 844-313-4999. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. I never cease to wonder at is that this Jesus, Son of God, came born in a stable, escapes from a king. And his whole life he's kind of hunted down by the jealousy and the ambition of the scribes and Pharisees and the king. And he speaks and heals to the people. He he raises the dead and, and exercises the demons. Nobody's grateful. He does all that. He did. He continues to do all of that. And we still don't understand how much he loves us. Isn't that odd? For more information on Mother Angelica, visit Religious Catalog at EWTNRC.com. Step away from the turmoil of the day. In A Holy Hour with Mother Angelica, you'll find lessons that touch every aspect of our relationship with God and our neighbor. These meditations and prayers will help you turn to Jesus in your everyday life. A Holy Hour with Mother Angelica from EWTN Publishing. Now available at EWTNRC.com or call 1-800-854-6316. I am so excited. I got another book coming out. It's titled The Three Most Humble People I Know and How I Taught the Other Two. I don't know if it's going to affect my humility award competition, but I'm Dr. Ray Garendi. This is E-Person Monday. This is The Doctor Is In. We uh, take calls live much of the rest of the week, but on Mondays we do something to address the many, many e-persons that we get from folks uh, coming in both from the radio program and the TV show. Okay, oh, we've got to get to this. November of last year, my husband and I welcomed our daughter into the world. She is our first light of our life. Having her, though, has led us to examine more closely the dynamics of our extended family. We are concerned in particular about how the relationship with my sister-in-law might affect our daughter down the road. My husband's sister is a very involved animal rights activist and has gone so far as to praise the dangerous and sometimes criminal acts of other activists. She has effectively condemned her entire family in person and on social media for not agreeing with her views. Because of this, family get-togethers become rather tense as she takes every opportunity to push her agenda, whether it will be with agenda-driven gifts, smart side comments, or directly debating with anyone willing to get into it with her. A number of times, woo, 
My husband has attempted conversations with her to try to understand her reasoning and to open a dialogue, but when he begins to poke at holes in her logic and steer the conversation in a way in which she isn't comfortable, she deflects, making herself the victim. The family just doesn't try to accept or understand me and sometimes lashes out. Between the continued insults and the unwillingness to find common ground, my husband is beginning to think it might be best to cut her from our lives until she can start treating everyone like family again. And that's an extreme thing, especially if this is your brother's wife or his brother's wife. Uh, but that that's tough. It, it, it's easier to to ignore her and not let her get to you than to simply say, hey, we're Christians, we're Catholics, we take our faith serious, get out of our lives. She's being incredibly intolerant. You know that. You don't want to mirror that. Okay. Now, here's your big concern. We fear that at some point she might attempt to, quote, indoctrinate, in quote, our daughter by introducing her activist ideals against our wishes at an age where our daughter will be unable to process what her aunt is telling her in a way that isn't traumatic or at an age where she will begin to question our decisions and authority as her parents. Okie dokie. Well, first of all, Mom, let me give you a great, great comfort. What's your daughter? Six months old? No, she's a little older than that. Ten months old? Well, uh, <laughs> no, you don't have to even worry about this for another six or seven years at least. Because first of all, you're not going to give your daughter unfettered access to the sister-in-law. The sister-in-law is going to make nonsense comments, and your daughter, if she's six or seven or eight or nine years old, is going to listen to this. And at, at worst, she's going to say to you, what does she mean by that? Why does she think that way? That's the first thing. Secondly, I assume you don't have a whole lot of contact with this lady. So periodically she comes to the house for family gatherings or, or whatever. You go someplace for family gatherings. Maybe your husband's mom and dad are still alive, so they're still the patriarch, matriarch of the family, and that's where the gatherings occur. But it's not very often. And your daughter's going to be oblivious. If she were a boy, she'd really be oblivious. Because she's a girl, she may pick up on a few comments, but that isn't going to indoctrinate her. I mean, your sister-in-law is going to have to have open, unfettered access to her to warp her thinking. Besides, she lives with you every day, all day. She's going to much more likely reflect your thinking, and she's going to look at your sister-in-law like, what is she talking about? Okay. So, what's this at here? My husband has looked into several of the groups that his sister. Oh, okay, so it's your husband's sister. Ah, okay. That's even, that's closer. And he's seen videos of members approaching kids while they're alone without their parents to attempt to convince them to live a vegan lifestyle. He has also seen posts on his sister's social media relating to her job as a social worker in which she shares stories of introducing these eyes to the kids. In other words, we got to indoctrinate the kids. That's how they feel it. They're not going to have access to your daughter. First of all, your daughter is for, for several years, and who knows where your sister's going to be several years from now. She may have decided to write all you people off because none of you have come around to her way of thinking. I wouldn't let that bother me at all, okay? Um, my husband made a comment about finding a way to tell his sister we don't want her having any reactions with our daughter. I would just, no, she, you, you're, you be around your daughter when the sister-in-law's around. Besides, your daughter's going to be clueless about any of this until probably age four anyway. So you got a lot. All right? That's all you do. You just don't let her have unfettered access. If she says, why, why don't you act with mommy and with my, with my aunt the way we do with the other family members, you say, well, the aunt gets mad. 
when we say things she doesn't like, she gets mad. So we just try to keep the peace as best we can. Okay? I know there's a lot going on, but I would not at all press the panic button at this age with your little daughter. And furthermore, you have several years. Who knows where the sister's going to be several years from now. Maybe she'll move away. Or, or you just simply do not let her have unbridled contact with your little daughter. If that's, if that's her mindset, which is to convince the children. <laughs> I'm Dr. Ray, and I thank you so much for joining me. I remember one time my daughter was older, and she was pushed by a nutty idea. And I said, what do you think? And she goes, they're weird. <laughs> That's, that was her response to it. I didn't have to say anything. Walk with God. Thank you for joining me. Stay with him. He loves you. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Join us on Saturday, September 25th for the third annual Veronica's Journey 5K Run and Walk at Southside Lines Park East. Located at 4600 Pecan Valley Drive, this family-friendly event honoring the loving memory of Veronica Nicole Finney is for adults and children. The children's run starts at 8 a.m. All registered 5K participants will be eligible to win a drawing for a two-night stay at the Wyndham San Antonio Riverwalk. To register or for more information, go to veronicasjourney.com. Do you need a will and keep putting it off? Do you need guidance on settling the estate of a loved one who's passed away? Gilson Law Firm is a faith-centered team of legal professionals who can help you navigate the probate process and put your final affairs in order. I'm attorney Sim Gilson, a sponsor of GRN. When we meet, we'll talk about Catholic health directives and charitable giving, about faith and family. To learn more about our team, visit tricountylawyer.com. Thanks for supporting Guadalupe Radio Network. You're invited to attend the traditional Latin Mass each Sunday at St. Timothy Catholic Church. Located at 1515 South Pio Street in San Antonio, Holy Mass begins at 2 p.m. Join this vibrant community of Catholics as we participate in the beauty and reverence of the extraordinary form. If you grew up with this Mass and want to experience it again, or if you're just curious, visit us this Sunday at 2 p.m. at St. Timothy's Catholic Church. We look forward to seeing you there. Transmitting the treasures of our Catholic faith to your radio every day. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. This is 89.7 FM KJMA Radio, Floresville, San Antonio. Also online at grnonline.com. We don't mess with the truth. Hear it. Love it. Live it. And they lead you into the right direction. I just appreciate you and God for putting that sign in my life and letting me know that it, it is Him and it's okay. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Ever feel like life's just too much? Maybe it's time for a change. God offers us relief and hope. So if you're feeling like you need more peace today, begin at CatholicsComeHome.com. I used to wonder if God really cared about me. Then I started praying and going to church. 
I realized that God in my life was the difference between occasionally being happy and finding lasting joy. If you're looking for something more, check out CatholicsComeHome.com.